We're so glad that you are checking out this sermon from New Beginnings. Our vision as a church is to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this through gathering in worship, growing through community, giving to the kingdom, and going on mission. We know that one of the greatest blessings of the church is getting to pursue this vision that God has given us together. My hope is that we would get the opportunity to connect with you in person and get you plugged into the life of our church. Also, if you have been blessed by the ministries of New Beginnings, we ask that you would consider supporting us financially. You can do so by clicking on the giving tab of our website, nvbctx.org. I pray that you are both encouraged and challenged by the scripture today. It is no surprise to you that my family, we are sports nuts. Like we love sports, but more, more importantly than we love sports, we love a particular sport. We love basketball. And if you know me, you'll know that we love this sport. My kids love, and they play the game of basketball, and it's kind of a big deal at our house. So like during basketball season, which seems like for us always, all the time, um, but we arrange our life schedule around it. We, um, uh, we love sports teams specifically. We love watching Razorback basketball, all right, because we're raising our children right. And uh, so we love Razorback basketball. We we, we like Razorback football, but they're not real good right now, so we don't talk about that right now. We're, but basketball, we're doing pretty good. And so we love basketball. We rearrange our schedule around our kids' games. We, we love Razorback basketball. And so like yesterday, they tipped off at 5 o'clock, so we made sure we were home for that. We beat Alabama, all right? So I, we have two rules at our house. There are two teams you cheer for, Razorbacks and anyone playing Alabama. That's who we cheer for. And we beat Alabama. Uh, because we can't do it in football, we celebrate it in basketball. Um, but this is, how, this is our life. This is our family. And so a lot of conversation about basketball. We'll watch a lot of games, and we'll discuss those games, and we'll analyze the game, and we'll talk about different parts of the game, because this is something we value and we love as a family. But the reality is, the reason my children love the game of basketball, the reason that they're into it, and the reason they love Razorback basketball is because I have taught them to love it. I've taught them to enjoy it. There's a phrase that I heard from a guy who's a pastor in, in, in Dallas here. His name is Josh Patterson, and he says this. This is an important phrase. Don't miss it. He says, what you treasure, you will transmit. You will always transmit what you treasure. Whatever you're passionate about, you will pass on. The things that you love and the things that matter to you, you are going to see that those things are passed down. Those things are given to your children and to those that are around you. And this is the reality. This is why in this room right now, there are some of you, you are not a first, you're not a second, you're a third or a fourth generation Texas A&M fan, right? Anybody in here, Aggies in the, in the room? Yeah, yeah, you always show up when we mention your name. You just, and we all know where you sit now, all right? So that's the reality. I was talking to a buddy of mine who's a huge, I was telling him kind of a little about my intro to the sermon, and and uh, I was joking about the Razorback basketball and, and all of that. We were talking about how fanatical the Aggies are. And, uh, and I, I told him, I said, well, what, do you, what would you do if uh, your kids wanted to go to Baylor University? Because this guy is such a fanatic about A&M that one day, this is no joke, I wore a burnt orange shirt and he would not shake my hand. And neither would his kids. Neither would his kids. But I asked him, I said, what if one of your kids want to go to Baylor? He said, I've already told them. He says, I'm not going to give, I'm not going to pay twice the money for half the education. We're just not going to do that <laughs> at our home. And uh, so, so why is he like this and why is his now kids like this? Because what you treasure, you transmit. What you're passionate about, you're going to pass on. You're going to give it away. And here is the reality. There is no neutrality with this. 
There is no neutral ground. Listen, all of us have an agenda. For you, it might be your kids having a love for music or a love for the fine arts or a love for hunting or a love for whatever it might be. We're going to take the things that we treasure and we're going to transmit that into the lives of our kids. And by the way, for those of you here who are going, not me, I'm not that parent. I want my kids to find themselves. Well, here's what you value. You value being a free spirit. Therefore, you are transmitting that to your children. All of us have an agenda. And by the way, in case you don't know, the world has an agenda. There is a value system that our world holds. There are things that our world treasures. And guess what they're doing through music and social media and movies and television shows and popular culture? What are they doing? They're wanting to transmit those values, those things that they treasure into the hearts of the next generation. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, we have got to ask ourselves the question, what do we treasure? Because when we find out what we treasure, we will discover what we're transmitting. And I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag. Our highest value, the thing that we should treasure more than anything else, according to Jesus, is the gospel of Jesus. And that our lives should be about not only valuing and treasuring the gospel, but then transmitting the gospel into the hearts of our children, into the hearts of the lives of the next generation. This is what the Great Commission says. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them, disciple them to obey all that I've commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So what is the essence of the Great Commission? Don't miss this, church. It's about treasuring the gospel and then transmitting the gospel into the hearts of those around us. This is the essence of the Great Commission. And so as a faith family and as homes that make up the faith family, we have got to understand that we have been called to treasure the gospel of Jesus, to be passionate about the message of who Jesus is and what he's done and what he wants for our life, and then pass that on into the hearts of our children. Now listen, it doesn't mean we can't have hobbies that we're passionate about or things that we really love and activities as a family and be involved with, with things that bring us joy. Listen, we've got to understand that there must be priorities. And what I've discovered in my own family and what I think we could all be honest about your family as well is that far too often we get the priorities out of line. And we spend most of our time transmitting treasures that have really no value in eternity. And my prayer is, is that as we dive into this series called Next Gen, we would walk through Deuteronomy chapter 6 and we would discover how we as a covenant community, the church, and you as homes, parents, grandparents, might partner together in order to see this faith passed on to the next generation. So grab your Bibles. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is where we're going to be. Let me give you the context of Deuteronomy before we jump in. I think it's important. The, the name Deuteronomy, I don't know if you know this, but the name Deuteronomy, it's a compound word. And it means to say again or to, to say the law again. The, the idea is this, is that the, the, the children of Israel, specifically in Deuteronomy chapter 6, they're on the brink of the promised land. For 40 years they've been wandering. An entire generation has gone to the grave since the law had been given to the people. And so here they are. They're, they're on the brink of going and inheriting the land to go as the people of God into the land that God was given them to go and live among the peoples of the earth, but do so in a distinctive way. And so what Moses does before going in to be sure that they were prepared, he stops and he preaches a series of messages helping them understand what God expects of them so that when they get into the land, they know how to live among the pagans in a way that keeps them distinct so that the mission that God has for them could be fulfilled. 
And so what he does is he gives the second law, the law again. He, he says it again. So he sits down with them, begins to teach them, this is what God's expectation uh, is for you. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he specifically is going to talk about the covenant community expectations in regards to the next generation. And even more specifically, the centrality of the home being the primary place that the faith is passed on to the next generation. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, let's start reading in verse 1. He says this. He says, now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. That you may do them in the land of which you are going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God, that you and your son and your son's sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply, multiply greatly as the Lord the God of your fathers has promised you in the land flowing with milk and, and honey. Now, now Moses starts um, his introduction of maybe one of the most significant sermons that we could ever find in the Old Testament by talking to us about the importance of God's word being the foundation of our homes and our lives. He's going to talk about the fact that, that if we are going to see the next generation carry the banner of faith with them as they move and begin to have children of their own and raise our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren, he's saying, listen, the Word of God must be the foundation of their life. So here's what I want to do. I want to kind of look at this, and I want you to see three major applications, three major applications that we must do, things we must do if we're going to see our faith passed on to the next generation, what we must do as families and as, as homes if we're going to see this happen, I want you to look back in verse 1. Let me unpack the first one. He says this in verse 1. He says, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them. Everybody say do them. That you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. Now Moses is communicating that God's word must be the framework that determines the trajectory and the course of our lives and our home. Now notice what he says here. He says, these are the statutes and the rules that you may do them. So it wasn't, listen, it wasn't just about them knowing the commands of God. It was about them doing the commands of God, about walking in his way. It wasn't just about having God's word on the coffee table at their house, but rather God's word being in our hearts in such a way that we would walk in obedience to his ways. It's not just about knowing, it's about doing. Now notice where he says we do them. He says that you may do them, and then he says, in the land of which you are going. Now what is this land? This land was a land full of false gods, full of nations that did not worship the God of Israel. And they were going to go and enter into this land, and this is what he's saying. As you enter into a godless culture, as you enter into a place where idols are worshipped, where there are other things other than the living God being exalted, here's what I want you to do. I want you not only to know the commands, I want you to let the commands be the grid by which you live your life in the land. In other words, you're going to create a subculture within the culture. You're going to look differently. You're going to live differently. There's going to be a different way of which you approach life. And that approach of life is going to be driven by the truths of the word that I'm giving to you. So here's number one. Listen, if we're going to pass our faith on to the next generation, listen to this. We must embrace a Christian worldview for our home. We must embrace a Christian worldview for our home. A worldview is, is simply what influences the way you see life. 
How you interpret the world around you. What informs your behavior. That's your worldview. And here's the reality. Parents, listen to me. All of us in this room have an end-all, be-all in our life. Right? What do you mean end-all, be-all in our life? It means the thing in which we are looking to, to find direction and purpose and meaning in life. Like for some of us, we look to popular culture. We look to the influence of our friends. For some of us, we borrow a little bit from the church and a little bit from uh, maybe our parents or whatever it might be. But all of us have an end-all, be-all. And here's what Moses is saying. God's word needs to be the end-all, be-all for you. What does God say about life? How, how, how do you navigate in culture and society and respond to social issues? It cannot be by the influence of culture, the influence of friends, or maybe even taking a little bit of the church and a little bit of the world and mixing it together. There needs to be something fundamental in your life. Therefore, listen, we must, as followers of Jesus, if we're going to raise the next gen to know the Lord, we must embrace for our home a Christian worldview. Now, I'm going to... I'm going to give you a definition here of Christian worldview because here's what I think we think when we think of Christian worldview. We automatically think about knowledge. We automatically think about, okay, we need to know the Bible. And yes, you need to know the Bible, but there's more to a worldview than just you having knowledge about God's expectations for your life. So let me give you a definition. Jeff Manning, who serves on our staff as our spiritual formations pastor, he, uh, he wrote this this week, and uh, I think it's a great holistic description of what Moses is communicating here for us. He says this, he says, a Christian worldview is a vision of God and his world. In other words, it's the way that you see God and it's the way you see the world in light of how you see God. So it's a vision of God and his world that is born out of a love for God and his word. So it's you're seeing God and you're seeing the world through the lens of a love for God and a love for his word. Now, look what it goes on to do for us. This enables us to follow him. That's the do part. That's the do it in the land. This enables us to follow him in obedience by seeing what he sees, thinking what he thinks, and loving what he loves. And the reason I love this definition of Christian worldview is because it moves us beyond just an intellectual mindset in regards to a Christian worldview. Because here's, here's why that's important. Do you know that it's possible? It is possible for you to live out a Christian worldview and not even be a Christian. You can study the scriptures. You, you can write out the principles of scriptures of what God wants you to do with your life. And then you can even in a legalistic way establish a family where we're going to do this, we're not going to do this, and we're going to follow this path. And you can have a scripture verse for all of it and not even be a Christian. It is possible in our Judeo-Christian ethic society it is possible for you to hold to a set of values and ethics, but not even love God. And that's not what God is after, and that's not what it means to truly have a Christian worldview. It's more than this. What God desires for us is not just our dutiful obedience to empty or vain knowledge that we hold in our mind, but rather to be captivated by the love for God and his love for us in our heart in a way that causes us to think differently and then to live differently. This is the aim. You find this throughout the entire chapter of chapter 6. And look what he says in verse 2. He says that you may fear the Lord your God. You may fear the Lord your God by keeping his commandments. The word fear here is not the idea of an abject being, having an abject terror because of you're a slave that's in fear of his master. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about, I got to do, I got to do, I got to do, because God's going to zap me if I don't. 
No, no, no. He's talking about a reverent devotion to the one that by his, who by his grace redeemed us. It's standing in awe of the one that has set the captives free. That's why later on in chapter 6, in the last sermon we're going to preach in this series, uh, he's going to tell the people, Moses says to them, hey, and when your sons and when your daughters ask you about the commands of God, you tell them that we were slaves in Egypt, but by his grace and mercy, he has set us free and that his commands are given to give us life. So we don't just have a worldview that's driven by fear of terror, but rather one that is reverent love of obedience. It says, I want to honor the one that set me free. It goes on in chapter 6, verse 5, one of the most popular verses. Jesus says it's the greatest commandment ever given. Listen to the context here. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. The greatest commandment in all of the Bible. God desires us for, God's desire for us is to love him with everything. Not just to obey out of duty, but to obey because we love God. And for that love for God to cause us to want to walk in his ways. Look what he says in verse 6. He compounds it even more. He says, these words that I command to you today are to be upon your heart. What words? The commands of God. So he doesn't just want them to be in our minds. He says, no, 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 no. These commandments that I'm going to give you, that I want you to walk in in the land, this worldview that I want you to have, I don't want you just to have it in your minds. I want it to be embedded in your soul, in your heart. You see, here's what we got to understand. The mind and the heart are inseparable. And what God wants for us is a true Christian worldview. And the essence of what it means to truly embrace a Christian worldview is simply this. It's to know God and his word with our mind, to love them in our hearts, and then to do them with our life. This is the essence of what God wants for us. So the question you need to be asking as families and as individuals is simply this. What governs your decisions? What guides you as a family? When you, when you hit the crisis and you're dealing with a social dilemma in your house, what is the well you're drawing from to offer to your children to help them with that dilemma? When it comes to navigating through difficult decisions in regards to places that your kids go and decisions you make as a family of what priorities are there, are you letting your friends influence you or are you in love with God and his word and therefore because of your love for God and his word, the truth of God's word is becoming not an influence in your life but the primary influence in your life that helps determine the direction of the decisions that you make. All of us, all of us have an end-all, be-all. What is the end-all, be-all for your family? And by the way, when you, when you kind of wrestle with this, when you make these decisions, you're laying foundations for your kids. In, in the 1930s, Levi Lusco, by the way, at Passion Conference, talked about this, and I loved it, and he used this illustration, and I think it applies here. In the 1930s, there was a natural disaster. One of the, they say it's the greatest preventable natural disaster in, in the United States history. It was called the Dust Bowl, historically. It's where the dust storms started in, in the uh, northwest panhandle of Texas and, and New Mexico and, uh, and Oklahoma and swept through the nation. I mean, it was just an unbelievable time of devastation. It was one of the worst droughts in the history of our nation. And the dust storms were so bad, thousands upon thousands of people lost crops and, and their, their cattle. And there was great, a uh, lot of deaths that happened because of the dust would get in the lungs and, and cause uh, dust pneumonia. And the people would, would just die because of the, the, the breathing conditions, the air quality at the time. In fact, there was one dust storm so severe that they said on the east coast, 
out in the sea, a boat had dust falling from the sky that started in the northwest panhandle of Texas. I mean, just devastating. You say, well, what caused it? Well, in the 1920s, when the land boom was going on, people were moving out west, and as the true west began to get filled up, they were moving more east toward western part of Texas, and you have land out there that's not easy to cultivate. In fact, in that particular day and time, you had these natural grasses that had these deep root systems so that the dry, sandy soil of West Texas had some stabilizing force in it. The foundation was good because there were some stabilizing grasses, but as they moved into farm, only thinking about the momentary desires to grow their crop, they began to pull up all the native grass and so in the 1920s, you had all this farming boom. You had one of the greatest wet seasons, and so they planted wheat. Wheat only has about four inches of, of a root system. And so, man, for 10 years, it was unbelievable, but they disturbed the foundation to the extent of which when the drought of the 1930s hit, disaster. Here's the question you need to be asking yourself as families. What foundation are we cultivating in our kids life today that are going to sustain them or destroy them when the droughts of life hit them in their future what kind of root system are you helping them develop in their life that when life gets hard when life gets tough when life gets where where they don't know what to do are you putting enough structure there so that they can be sustained to the seasons of life because it's not if the drought's coming it's when the drought's coming are they going to have a foundation that's going to sustain the drought or are you for momentary temporary purposes disturbing the foundation that God desires that's going to come back and result disaster in your students lives in the future how do you prevent that by embracing a Christian worldview for your family where you love God and you love his word and therefore it becomes the end-all be-all of your life and dictates the direction of your home. Let me explain to you number two. He goes on to talk about this and, and the greater vision we've got to have for our home. Look what he says in verse two. He says that you may fear the Lord your God. Now listen to this. Don't miss this. You, but not just you, your son, but not just your son, your who? Your son's son. So I want you to fear the Lord and to walk in his ways, but not just you. I want your, your son to do it, and not just your son. I want your son's sons to do it. Now, go, he goes on to unpack this a little more of, of what this means for us. He says, by keeping his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Don't miss that. Hear, therefore, O Israel. And be careful to do them, that it may go well with you. And, listen to this, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. Now, notice what he's saying here. He's saying, I want you, your son, and your son's son, to walk in my ways. Why? That you may live long in the land. Now, when he says live long in the land, don't miss this. He's not talking about your young people becoming old people. He's talking about generations to come. That you, you're the people of God, may live long in the land. That's why when he finishes this, he says that you may multiply greatly. What he's saying is, is that the covenant community of God's ability to stay in the land and be the presence to fulfill the mission we're going to talk about in a minute that he's called us to requires that you are focused on as a parent pursuing the Lord, discipling your children to pursue the Lord, 
so that your grandchildren can pursue the Lord. But here's truth number two. Don't miss this. We want to see our faith pass on to the next generation. For years to come, listen, we must establish, we must establish a multi-generational approach to parenting. We must establish a multi-generational approach to parenting. Here's the big idea. This is about leaving a spiritual legacy. And this is important. It's important because the, the, in, in, in Moses' context, the presence of God's people remaining in the land was going to be dependent upon not just their ability to live out their faith, but their intentionality in seeing that their children and their grandchildren live out their faith. So Moses is telling them, you've got a parent with the long game in mind. You see, see, here's where many of us fail, and this is the whole point of chapter 6. God's aim for his people is longevity and multiplication. That you would continue to be a source of presence, of transforming power in the land that you're going to live. And that's not going to happen for generations to come if the generation now doesn't give it to the generation that's coming behind them. Far too many of us, listen to me, far too many of us in this room as families, and I'm one of them, we have such small visions for our families. We are stuck in the here and now. It's this season, it's this week, it's this month, it's this semester, it's this friend group, it's this decision, it's this whatever, and we're only thinking about the now, and we're not looking at the bigger picture of what we're desiring for our children, and therefore, we're making decisions for the here and now, but in doing so, we're sacrificing greater things for them later. Because we don't want to say no today. Because we want them to be happy today. I just want them to be accepted today. I just want them to feel like, man, they're just a normal kid today. And because of this, we want to give them all the things that the kids around them, the world around them is offering. And we go, man, we're just good parents. We're doing this. But in doing so, in many cases, what we're doing is we're sacrificing the greater vision that God has for our home, which is the longevity of the gospel message being passed on to the generations to follow. Most of us, if we think, and I'm going to use the word if, and in my notes it's capital, if. If we think about the future for our kids, typically it's only in the context of the inheritance we want to leave them or the financial stability we hope that they have. This is why so many things that capture us today that are pulling us away from what God desires, this is why we, listen, this is why there are multi-generational Razorback fans and Aggie fans. Our kids know how to call the call of the team that we support, but many of them don't know how to pray. Because what you treasure, you transmit. And because so many of us treasure the here and now more than the bigger picture of what God wants to do, we are forfeiting and sacrificing God's best for our children on the altar of the immediacy of the culture around us. This is why we check out for months on end during travel team time in sports because we want to give our kids now this thing. They get it now. So we're going to withdraw from the covenant community. We're going to say, now listen, we're not giving up on it, but listen, your kids can see through it. The value system will be transmitted. 
because of a narrow focus, momentary thinking, we make decisions. And listen, can I tell you what God wants from you more than anything is you to leave a spiritual legacy. Spiritual legacy. And by the way, legacies don't happen on accident. A spiritual legacy, what does you mean when you say legacy? A legacy, for someone to leave a legacy means that they're living a life that lives long after they're gone. A life that makes an impact long after they're gone. Thinking about this this week, I've been so sad. I'll, I'll talk more about that at the end. But Kobe Bryant's death has just really rocked my world. I mean, I kind of grown up with this guy. I mean, I feel like we were close to the same age. And, and, and man, just, just heartbreaking. I mean, I mean, I told my wife, like, last night, I was like, I'm just still so sad. But one of the things that, that's about Kobe that I think is being appreciated now more than ever is that he is a legacy guy. Like, when you get into the sports world, here's what you'll have. You'll have categories. You'll have good players. There's a lot of good players, right? If you're professional, you've got a lot, a lot of good players. Then you've got some great players. Then you've got some all-star caliber players. You've got some players that are great, but they're not all-star caliber. And so as you move the funnel, it, it narrows, right? And then you have Hall of Fame type players. Now you get into a really small group of people. And then you have what would be known as the iconic legacy players. And there is a very few people that are in that. And by the way, you don't move from good to legacy on accident. It requires determination. One of the stories, we hear a lot of stories about Kobe. One of my favorite stories that I've heard talking about what has built up to this legacy in his life is uh, Allen Iverson tells the story. Maybe you heard this, but they came into the league the same year. And then uh, Allen is going to be a Hall of Famer. He's just a great player. He's, he's in that, that smaller group, but he's not legacy. But in his first trip to L.A. after the game, uh, Kobe took him to dinner. And they were both young. Kobe, I think, was 18 at the time. Took him to dinner. And after dinner, he took... Uh, A.I. back to the uh, hotel, and he said, hey, what are you going to do? He said, man, I'm going clubbing tonight. And A.I. looked at him and said, what are you doing tonight? He says, I'm going to the gym tonight. I've got workouts planned. And what the story was is that this is the difference maker in a guy like Kobe and a guy like Allen Iverson. One guy was willing to sacrifice the immediate for something greater he wanted to achieve and ultimately establish a legacy. The other guy became a really great player, but because of his unwillingness to make sacrifices of the moment, he sacrificed something later for the future. And for you as moms and dads and grandparents and we as church families, here are the questions. Are we focused on the here and now or do we want to leave a spiritual heritage, a spiritual legacy to our children? And if you want to leave a spiritual legacy, it doesn't happen on accident, but rather through intentionally making hard decisions today that may not be popular, they may not be easy, and your kids might not even appreciate it today, but in the future, it's going to pay off in their hearts. Because listen, you are not going to build into generations after generation without intentional focus on discipleship and making tough decisions in the moment. Like if you were to ask the average parent, you want your kid to walk with Jesus when they're old, they're going to tell you yes. But if you look at the agenda of the home, there is nothing of priority that says the desired income that I want is actually what I'm structured to get. Like everybody wants to be rich, I just don't have to save money or work hard to get rich. And the same thing true for raising children. So listen, I know in this room, here's what I know. I know that, that none of us in this room are like, man, I don't want that for my kids because I, th I think you do. And I think for most of us in this room, it's not necessarily of I don't want it. It's a question of how do I do it? And so one of the reasons we're giving you this 
resource is because we want to put some tools in your belt to help you become intentional as a parent of having a multi-generational vision for your home. That you would parent, listen to me parents, that you're parenting today your children towards your grandchildren. And so I'm going to give you a couple of things. Once you grab this journal, go to, go to page 7. I'm going to show you something here. Page 7. Th- th- this is going to be week 1 that's going to really carry you for the rest of the series. And I'm praying will be something that shapes you. We're going to say, where do I start? Here's where I would start. I would start by intentionally, strategically praying for your children as individuals. And this could be your friends. This could be uh, nieces and nephews. It could be kids that are in your classroom. If you don't have kids at your home that you teach or you coach. It could be your grandkids or whatever it might be. There's a book that my wife and I read a few years ago called The Praying Life by Paul Miller, and he has a prayer strategy that really impacted us in a great way, and I, we, we put this in the resource because we want this to impact you as well. So let me kind of walk you through just briefly what it means to begin this process of having a multi-generational view of parenting, specifically in regards to praying for your children. So here's what you're going to do on Monday, tomorrow. You're going to sit down and you're going to write the names of the people you're going to pay for, kids, grandkids, ne- nieces, nephews, whatever it might be, friends that you, you have, but for, for parents, it's going to be your kids. And so you're going to write John's name, and you're going to be in to pray for John and maybe Jill. And you're going to ask God, God, show me what their strengths are. What are the giftings you've given them? This is going to help you, through the Holy Spirit, know your kids on an individual level. So you're going to say, what, what are the giftings that you've given them? I, I want you to help me. And as the Lord begins to show you the giftings, you're going to narrow it down to the top one, two, or three. And so you're going to say, okay, John is passionate, man. God, you've wired him to just run after things with all kinds of just focus. And so, man, I recognize that. Also, he's loyal, man. I've watched the way he is with his friends. He doesn't, he doesn't cut people behind their back, man. He is, he is all in. Then, then, man, he's enthusiastic. He's the life of the party. You've given him a type A personality. And, man, God, I know you've got things you're going to use him for. And so you're going to identify those things and just write them down on Monday. And you're going to then identify what are some Scripture verses that I could pray for Johnny that, that I want to pray for those gifts that God flourishes him in. So you're going to identify those. And then you're going to look at Jill, and you're going to do the same thing for Jill. And she's strong, and she's wise, she's confident. You acknowledge the giftings. Find some verses of Scripture. Now, day two, on Tuesday, you're going to come back to the same list, and now you're going to identify areas of growth. What are the weaknesses? What are the spiritual struggles? Like, what are the things that just keep tripping them up? It, it has a stronghold maybe in their life or personality things that they need to grow in Christ in. So a lot of times we want, to, we want to command our kids into different behavior. What if we prayed them into different behavior? What if we begin to give structure for them and say, here's your expectations, but begin to plead, God, these are the things that continue to reoccur in their life. Because, listen, you can get kids to do what you want, but you can't change their heart. Only Jesus can do that. So you begin to identify what are the things in John's life that's just, man, He's struggling. He's dominant. Like the passion thing is great, but man, he feels like he has to control every conversation, every relationship. And man, he's, he's got a lack of compassion. That, that enthusiasm is just running. He doesn't really consider other people and how they feel in the moment. And so you're going to identify some of those uh, weaknesses and identify scriptures that you're going to pray that God would then cultivate and change his heart. And you're going to do the same thing with, with the rest of the family. And then on Wednesday, day three, you're going to go back to John and Jill, and here's what you're going to do. You're going to think about what are the long-term plans? What are the things of the next 20, 30, 40 years that I desire for my children? Begin now to pray for little John's wife. And you'll give him a godly wife, a wife that loves Jesus. Pray for, listen, the lady that's going to be the, the mother of your grandchildren. 
Asking God to cultivate her heart wherever she is, whatever relationships that you would protect her and you would grow her and guide her. And then you would talk about their college and their future plans. What, what do you want to do with their life? Not what college do I want them to go to? God, what do you have for them? And as God begins to navigate that, you begin to write a list. And then you do that for Jill. You, you pray for their long term. These are things you're going to pray for years and years to come. And then here's the next one. Day, day, day four is Thursday. You're going to have a short-term prayer list. This is where you're going to try to find out what's going on in my kids' lives today that I could petition on their behalf and then share with them that I'm praying for them. And as God answers the prayer, I can tell them I've been praying for that. So you begin to acknowledge, man, John's got an English test coming up this week, and man, he's stressed about that. And basketball, man, this season's kind of, man, they just can't seem to get it together. I know it's stressing him, so I'm going to pray for it. You say, well, that's kind of silly. No, no, it's not silly to John. So we're going to take it to Jesus. And so we're going to pray, and we do that for our family. So we're going to acknowledge, what are the short-term prayer requests? And then on Friday, we finalize for each kid, each person that we're praying for, a sheet of paper, a page. You have them in your booklet. And this becomes how you pray the rest of this series and maybe even months to come. Now John's got his own page where you transfer the things into simplified form over here. And as long-term prayers are being prayed, they may grow but also short-term prayer, you may add those short-term, and you're also going to be, hey, God answered this prayer. And then you can go and share that. And then each day as you get up, you're praying specifically for their strengths, for their weaknesses, for their long-term, short-term prayer needs. And then you're, you're praying Scripture over their life so that through God's Word and the Spirit of God, He might transform and captivate their heart. Listen, here's the thing. I believe that if you'll begin to be intentional in praying for your children, not only will you see God do things that you could never accomplish yourself as a parent, it's also going to reshape your heart and what is most important. Because how in the world can I be praying that God would capture the heart of my kid if I continue to give my kid away to things other than God? You with me? In this... Uh, resource you're also going to be challenged to learn how to pray at night for your kids in an effective way what does it look like individually no matter how young or old they are for you to walk in to lay your hand on their shoulder or their forehead or hold their hand and just pray for them as they go to sleep at night for, before you leave the house in the morning what would it look like we're going to give you some ways to do this of, of just stopping for three seconds like i'm literally for, for our, our family a lot of times it's 45 seconds of huddling up while somebody's packing their lunch hey i'm going to pray a blessing over the family wine because i want my kids to remember who we are and who we live for and what who who owns the day that we're living and then we're going to walk out the door having having prayed over the family for god's protection his hand on us and then we're also going to give you an opportunity through this. We're going to challenge you to be intentional about sharing your story. Some of you, your kids have never heard your, your, your salvation story. And we're going to challenge you over the next few weeks to share that story with them. Others of you, um, you you're, you're, you're trying to figure out how do I have more significant conversations around the dinner table? Well, one of the things we're going to provide in the resource uh, is for you is, is to learn how to one time a week have an effective conversation around the dinner table where you can peel back the layers of your kid's heart and just have some intentional time of conversation. And so here's my point. We must establish a multi-generational approach to parenting. And it demands intentionality. And so we're going to try to equip you with this resource to begin to help you take some baby steps toward that. And by the way, these baby steps could be massive, giant leaps for some of your families. And so I'm going to encourage you to take this serious. Now let me give you number three. Number three is where it all comes together. I want you to look what he says in verse number three. He says, hear therefore, O Israel. Don't miss this. Say, say, everybody say, O Israel. o Israel. 
So hear therefore, O Israel. This is the bigger picture. He's communicating to them. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. We've got to remember the greater context. He tells them, hey, I'm telling you the commandments that you and the statutes and the rules that you teach and you live and you impart to your kids and your grandchildren that you may live long in the land. But the context is here, O Israel. You see, why is that so important? Moses is not leading a parents conference here. Moses, Moses is speaking, Moses, Moses is speaking to the covenant community, those who were redeemed of God, the people of God, collectively as a whole. He is speaking to the nation now. The people of God, the nation of Israel, is made up of individual families, but those individual families do not live in independence from the greater covenant community as a whole. So the instructions that he is giving to the home is the instruction what he's giving to the people of God collectively as the redeemed of God. Now, why is that important? Moses is not giving parent tips so that the Johnson family and the Connitz family and the Willis family and the Norris family can walk away and figure out how to navigate into their home. No, no, no. He's calling the people of God together and saying, don't forget the greater mission of what you've been redeemed for and what that looks like played out not only as a nation, but in individual families that make up the nation. We don't live in isolation. We live in community, a covenant community of the redeemed. So here is point number three. Listen, we must engage in the life and the mission of the covenant community. If we're going to raise spiritual champions who take Jesus to the next generation, we must engage in the life and the mission of the covenant community. Listen, we as believers are not called to live in isolation, but rather we are a part of a greater covenant community called the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus has not redeemed us so that we can just be individual Christians coming to an event on Sunday so that we can learn how to better live as individuals in the community throughout the week. No, 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 no. Jesus loved the church. He died to establish the church. And so when he saves individuals, he saves us into the covenant community so that there is a common link that we have. And that is we are the redeemed who have a mission that's been given to us by God and that we run after this together. Now, as the people of God, the local church, we are made up of individual families, but we do not live as independent families, but rather we are connected to the greater whole. You know what that, that means for you and me? Church is not a place you attend regularly or occasionally. It's a people you belong to. Church is not meant to be a place that you take your kids so that you can hope they get something. No, it's a people that you are connected with because we have a shared mission together in. You see, Moses is reminding the people, when he says that you may live long in the land, that you may multiply in the land, he is reminding them that as a covenant community made up of individual families, that there is a mission that God has placed them in on. And that mission was to be a light to the world. That the other nations, as God's people would live in the land, the nations would see the God of, of Israel uh, causing them to flourish and to multiply and grow, and that they would know the salvation that ultimately was going to come through Christ because of the people of God. I want you to listen to what Isaiah says about this. Isaiah, later on, the people forget this, just like we do. Isaiah says this in 42, verse 6. He says, I am the Lord, 
I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people. Listen to this. A light to the nations. He is reminding the people of Israel, it's not about you and your individual families and your little private self. It is about the collective covenant community as a whole and what I am calling you to be for the world, which is a light of the, for the nations. He goes on in chapter 46, verse, or 49, verse 6, and Isaiah says this. He says, is it too light a thing that I should be, you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved to Israel? Listen to this. I will make you as a light for the nations. Why? That my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. The mission of the covenant community was to take the light of the salvation of God and let the world know about it. And listen to me. This is the same calling we have received. You see, here is the great news. The light of the world has come and his name is Jesus and he hung and he bled and he died. He is the fullness of the salvation that God was bringing about through the nation of Israel so that now we, those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, we have now been given a mission. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. My church is going to be the city on a hill that cannot be hidden so that people in this world might know who God is and that they might come to have salvation found in me. And he has placed us as the local church to be the beacon of hope, the light to the world. And so that means, listen, if you're a family who's connected to the larger covenant community, you've got to engage because the mission God has for your family is not different than the mission he has given to us as a faith family. You are an extension of that. Are you with me? So we have got to get beyond this. I attend and engage and belong. So now here's what you have. We, we have a responsibility as the covenant community and as families who make it up to disciple the next generation to take the light of the gospel into their generation and then to the next generation and then to the next generation and we do this in a strategic partnership together let me tell you a couple of things that we're running after as a covenant community that we believe is going to help families who want to be serious about raising up disciples for Jesus. But there's some things that we've got to do. We've got to create some space for our students. And so part of Next Gen is this. We're going to be running after a couple of construction projects that we want to provide facilities that can reach teenagers. In our old worship center, we're going to be renovating this facility to a 12,000-square-foot facility for our junior high students here in Longview. In this facility, there's going to be hangout space. There's going to be life group space. There's going to be an environment that is attractive to students where they can come and we can be, they can be poured into by adults that are going to love them, have a place where they can come on the weekends, on the weeknights, and different times of the year, have special gatherings, and then every Sunday and every Wednesday have a place where students can come and they can grow in Christ, be challenged, and, they, and a place ultimately our desire is a place where they can belong. In this facility, there's also going to be a 300-seat worship space for students so that all of our students can come together from time to time and worship. And so this is going to be an unbelievable location. Outside of this, we're going to have some recreation area. We want a place where kids and students want to come. And when they come, they can build relationships. They can find a place to belong. And through that, we can partner with the home in helping raise up 
a generation of Christ followers. In the north part of our campus, we're also going to renovate our old uh, edge building. We're going to convert this into high school space. This is going to be nearly 8,000 square feet of facility. And again, it's going to be uh, some unbelievable environments that we feel like our high school students are going to love. They're going to have kind of a coffee shop vibe on the inside, a smaller worship gathering just for high school students. And then there's going to be an outdoor recreation area as well, fire pits. This is not going to be exactly what it looks like, but there's going to be fire pits and sand volleyball court, outdoor uh, staging areas. And our prayer is, is that these facilities can become open to the public, that we can provide place for students to come. In our area, from Gilmer Campus and all the way up in here in Longview, or down here in Longview, there's not a whole lot for students to do uh, on the weekends. And so we're hoping not only to create environments for our Sunday Wednesday, but also throughout the year we can open up our facility and continue to reach and connect with more students. But not just that. At our Gilmer campus, we are out of space. We are reaching tons of young families, which means kids ministry, student ministry, and adult life group space. So this area here is an addition. It's going to be close to 4,000 square feet. It's going to consist of uh, three adult life group rooms, three children's ministry rooms, because we're out of space for preschool and children's ministry. And then we're going to add uh, a very large gathering area for, um, our, high school, for our, our student ministry there at our Gilmer campus. And so we're doing this because we believe in the next gen and we want to reach more and more families. So both here in Longview and in our Gilmer campus, we as the covenant community, I'm asking you to join us in this. This is going to take sacrifice above and beyond our tithes and offering. The cost of this projected is about $1.7 million. And we are prayerfully going to be able to see all of this through over the next several months and pay for it within one year which means we're asking you to begin now to pray about you investing, you being a part of, we as the covenant community of faith saying, we want to invest in the next generation. Now, I've just given you in about three minutes uh, what, what should take me about 45 minutes. And we're going to be hosting a number of dinners over the next several weeks, and we're going to be inviting you to this. And at those dinners, I'm going to explain more of our heart behind it, more details about the buildings themselves, and we're going to give you an opportunity to ask questions about the facilities, about the financing, about how you can be a part of it. And we're going to be hosting these so that you can all buy in and say, listen, we want to run after this as a church family. Our prayer is, is that we can start construction in the next couple of months. And that's all dependent upon um, the, the amount of money we're able to see pledged toward this to be given over a year period of time. And I'm asking you, there's a, there's a little sheet in, in, the, in the seat back in front of you. There's a little um, a card. I thought I had one here. Uh, there's a little uh, a pledge card there. And uh, that pledge card is going to kind of give you an idea of what we're asking you to do. And, and we're asking you to pray about the number that God would have you contribute over this next year. And then um, on March the 1st, we're going to have a time where you can bring your pledges and your commitments that you're going to give over the next year above and beyond your tithes and offerings. Now, here's the point of all of this. Again, there's going to be time for you to come and ask more questions. But here's what I feel passionate about. I am convinced... I am convinced that we are raising up in this Gen Z, we'll talk more about that in the weeks to come, in this Gen Z, a lot of negativity in our culture about Gen Z, but I'm going to tell you some positive about Gen Z. When, when you look at how they're wired in the way that God has created passions in their hearts, here's what I believe. If the church of Jesus Christ and the families that make up the church of Jesus Christ will get serious about discipling the next generation, I believe Gen Z could be the generation that ushers in the next great awakening in our nation. I believe this generation wants to run after Jesus. They're tired of playing games. But we have got to 
be obedient to the call that God has given us. What is that call? It's simple. Psalm 145, verse 4. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. My generation, parents, grandparents, your generation, we are called to commend the mighty works of God into the next generation. It takes intentionality as parents and homes and families, grandparents. It takes financial sacrifice as a covenant community to say we want to invest resources so that we can, as a church, be a supplement, not a substitute, but a supplement to mom and dad. Unless we're after this thing. You know, the death of Kobe Bryant, I told you, has made me sad this week, but the, but the biggest thing it's done in my heart is stirring me because not only did Kobe die this week, his daughter died. And I've, I've kept up with her. her she, she and my daughter are close to the same age. They both share the, kind of share the same love. And, and so it just kind of struck, honestly, just a very deep chord in my heart. I'm thinking that God is trusting our kids for a season. And whether it's them graduating and moving on, but there's a point in time where my kids... All three of them, they're, they're going to stand before Jesus one day. And on that day, their GPA is not going to matter. Where they went to college is not even going to be asked. How many points they scored, how good they were, did they get accepted into the group? None of those things on that day will matter. One thing will matter. What did they do with Jesus? And I'm telling you, this week, the Lord has just wrecked me because I give so much attention to the things in their life that on that day will not even be a consideration. And I want to raise spiritual champions for Jesus. I'll be honest with you. My priorities don't reflect that. And I'm asking you as parents and grandparents, let's evaluate have we truly embraced a biblical Christian worldview for our home? I mean, really, a love for God, a love for His Word that drives us. We establish a multi-generational approach to parenting. Are we thinking about parenting not just our kids, but our grandkids and our great-grandkids? And are we truly engaged in the life and the mission of the covenant community? Church family, I'm asking you, let's jump in. Let's ask God to evaluate, reorder, reestablish, and let's reach this next generation for the glory of Jesus. Amen? I'm going to pray over you, and then Pastor Daniel's going to come up, and he's going to lead us in time of announcements. Father, we love you, and I pray now for our church that you would just move powerfully over the next few months, that we would see a revival in our homes with grandparents and moms and dads, and our next generation might know you and pursue you with all of their heart. So God, let us, let us be stirred today. Let us take steps of action tomorrow. Be intentional. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people enthusiastically said. I hope that you have enjoyed this message. If you have any questions about anything that you have heard today or would like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, feel free to call our church offices at 903-759-5552 or send us an email at info at nbbctx.org. As for staying up to date with what's going on at New Beginnings, follow us on our social media accounts. Have a great rest of your day.